Hello and welcome to What The Lux with me, Fred Moore, and me, Anand Sharma. Together we lead Matter of Form, a design consultancy specialising in brand, digital experience and content. And this is a podcast that calls time on tired ideas of luxury. Alongside industry luminaries and thought leaders, we explore what truly defines category-leading products and services. In 2007, Mike and Alison Battle, with four children and successful careers, switched tack and founded Lapland UK, an immersive Christmas experience that's been a resounding success story. Since then, hundreds of thousands of visitors have seen the show in Ascot, Berkshire, and the business has primed to grow into fascinating new areas. They both say they came up with the idea through the eyes of their own children. Reveling in the joy of their children's innocent belief in Father Christmas, they saw Christmas as the greatest celebration of childhood, yet could find nowhere that reflected how important this moment was to them. It's a fascinating business, seasonal by definition, yet essentially eternal and evergreen in nature. The experience is mind-blowingly good and beautifully put together, and it combines commercial success with the magic of making people happy and leaving them with memories that will last a lifetime. In Mike's own words, I think we can slightly change the world here. We're only getting started. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. My pleasure, Fred. Lovely to be here. Well, obviously, we've worked together for the last year and a bit. We know lots about Lapland, but it'd be fascinating for our listeners for you just to uh, understand what you do, what you're about, because um, you're something of a cult, albeit a very well-known cult. <laughs> what is Lapland UK? Well, I suppose it's a world, first and foremost. Rather than just focusing on specifically Father Christmas, we have created um, an immersive experience, uh, particularly, but also multiple books now that support the storytelling world that we have created. Because uh, if you think about, you know, some of the much loved characters that are in all of our lives and particularly uh, you know, children's lives, um, there's often a, a whole compendium of characters. You don't have Mickey Mouse on his own. You have Goofy, uh, Donald Duck, Pluto, the whole gang. And that's what makes it wonderful. And there's, there's in, you know, relationships within it. There's interaction with the world. There's comedy. There's all this stuff. There's deep stuff within it. And what Alice and I set out to do was to, I suppose, rightfully put this moment of a child's belief in its rightful place with, from a societal point of view. I suppose our position is that over the years, let's say a generation back from me, children were seen and not heard. And we all know ourselves is that uh, the children, in many ways, rightfully so, are the kings and queens of the house these days. And yet their big moment, as you said on the intro, is the moment of Christmas when we all reflect on our own children, what it was like when we were a child, that sort of innocence and that innocent belief and all this type of thing. So in many ways, I think the power in some ways behind uh, Lapland and all that it, it has achieved is because we're just putting something right that had been misplaced. It'd been over-commercialized, lack of investment. And for that reason, it ended up in a, in a, a place that was not appropriate for the importance that the families realized it was in. So that was simply what it was. And through our storytelling, uh, our first and the most dominant part of the business is the live show. But we do do publishing. We're now doing some podcasts. We, we basically want to do anything and everything to bring quality, integrity, and uh, value or the sort of reflective value of the importance of this subject with uh, all of our um, all of our visitors. And uh, the public, it was a simple little sweet idea that myself and Alison had, and 
we've experienced as parents and, and Alison was a primary school teacher for 20 years. So um, it, it felt right for us. We didn't know if anybody agreed with us that this was like a wedding day in status, uh, but it seems the world does. I mean, that's what fascinates me is that there's there's having an idea and following it through. There's having four children, Alison giving up a career in teaching, you giving up a career in the city. You must have had the big vision. It wasn't like this was being done as a hobby. What drove you to, to make this decision? It, it's just a huge thing to do at that stage of life. I mean, the reality was is that I, I've always been a very committed father, but we sort of reached a point in our lives where we could potentially do something else. And I was getting really quite unhappy personally in that what I was doing. Uh, in many ways, my own personal story is that as a child, I was a reasonably, I don't know if I'd say gifted, but I, I can paint, I can draw, I have creativity sort of pouring out of me. But I had that moment where your father sort of said, go off to the, the big smoke and make some money some. And uh, all of that creativity is a nice hobby you know, that type of thing. So I did go off and do that. And I was 20 years in the saddle there. And I did learn some amazing things and meet some incredible people. But I probably was getting a little bit unhappy with what I was doing. And uh, I suppose what happened was I was looking around for a business, potentially that I could invest in or create. And at that moment, I think the footprint or the, the, the sort of consciousness of our environmental impact had been made aware to us uh, that hadn't been before. We need to stop flying around the world possibly and having 10-litre cars. So I teed myself all up on the uh, environmental space. And also, I suppose, slightly outfield, there was a lot of um, references of people and very much our own family trying to enjoy a wonderful Christmas moment with their family. And, and I was thinking why is this? There's nothing out there. And I, I used to literally sit in the car with Alison, you know, money in my pocket, four boys in the back of the people carrier, and yet nowhere to go. So what happened was these all came together in some ways, because I could see this huge frustration of my own family. I could see the frustration of uh, everybody else out there. I could see, I suppose, the, the business opportunity, because remarkably, when I looked at it into it a little bit, when it was flying, for example, Concord went to Lapland. So there was definitely a desire for something wonderful to do with your children at Christmas. So that, in some ways, uh, was the, the sort of head scratch moment. We did literally be saying in, the, in our people carrier, why doesn't somebody do something? And then we sort of turned the question on ourselves and said, well, why don't we do something? So there's a combination of, I suppose, just fundamentally our absolute, and this is very much uh, comes from Alison, passion for children. And Alison is a, a massive and impressive champion of children being children in the moment that they are children and just witnessing childhood is just the most special thing. So we've, we felt from a purpose point of view, it put the hairs on the back of our neck up. I was pretty um, unhappy in what I was doing and thinking and all this sort of creativity that I had wasn't going anywhere and being frustrated. We had the environmental thing to say, maybe you can do something special rather than it being sort of naff, like a sort of you know, Las Vegas type of thing. It had to have integrity and all that type of thing. So all of those came together. And then I suppose you circle it all the way back to um, myself and Alison's passion as parents. I sort of think that uh, the greatest example uh, to your children is to be an example to them. And I could be working in ABC, boring company, and, you know, scared of uh, not being able to make the mortgage. 
and saying, darling, go out and, you know, surf the, uh, the waves of life. But, you know, you fast forward and the next minute they're, they're on the, set ne- the seat next to you saying, I'm working for ABC, scared of making the mortgage company. And uh, you say, well, I thought I told you to go and surf the, the waves of life. They say, you might have told me to do it, but what you showed me was to be afraid of life. So I sort of felt in a, you know, a deep-seated way that that was our duty as well as parents. So all of those motivations came together for us to do this sort of mad life moment and, and jump off the, the cliff into a whole new world. Yeah, and it's, um, it's also an incredible decision. It's an interesting dynamic you both have because it's not just because you're in the city, you're the kind of business brain. You share the kind of creative ethos of the business. Is that right? Oh, 100%. Somebody said to me that uh, I've always had this creativity and I did 20 years in the city and all that's happened is it's almost hooked even more. So then finally, when I had an outlet to it, and in some ways I'm slightly famed in the company and embarrassing in meetings, it all just pours out of me, unbelievably, whether it's stories, whether it's visuals, whether it's anything to do with creative. So I'm probably, as a man, more happier and more authentically me than I've ever been in my life. I want to get into, you know, at your heart from the very beginning, you obviously understood that storytelling, myth building, extremely high production values, etc. It is key to the experience and the believability of the experience for children. But I was interested when you told me before that because of that, you've never wanted to compromise the experience for children or, or turn it into something that might be on a poster. And as you reach, I guess, this inflection point for the business now where you're going to be expanding into other areas naturally, you couldn't really talk about yourself very much for the early years. And so it built a kind of organic following or, or a cult-like status through itself. Absolutely. It definitely is a, is a double act, myself and Alison. As, as we say, it's come from Alison. In many ways, she has taught me this, but it's come through me. And I'm the sort of uh, bit in the sandwich trying to make it work as a business trying to vision out what the business could hold. The point that you touch on there, Fred, was Alison, quite rightly, was always very fearful of doing any marketing. I mean, that sounds amazing probably to somebody like you, but she was because she couldn't have, and again, rightly so, a child view us as just another show. Um, So we could not have any posters up. Uh, In many ways, the, the digital space has been an absolute gift for us because we've been able to communicate directly. But we've never, as I said, overtly advertised it because for fear of breaking the spell with children. And, and also, I suppose my mindset as a business was, as they, I think there's that line, isn't there, where they say, create something um, that's not so great and uh, you'll be uh, spending the rest of your life trying to sell it to the world or create something extraordinary and your customers will sell it to the world for you. And I very much go with the second one. And I've always tried to put the money and the investment down into, for want of a better word, the product, the experience. And, you know, the very first show that we did, uh, we, we only had a little bit of PR. We pretty much just put the flag up to say, we're going to try and do something special here. And we sold 40,000 tickets out 40 miles out of London. And supposedly industry that's unprecedented that's never happened but as the years have gone on we've invested and invested and and it's in some ways it's almost hurt at times but what Alice and I are are, I suppose fueled by is the purpose our purpose is to honor childhood 
that's it. And then you're, as Simon Sinek would say, you're never going to arrive there. I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. And I'm very happy to do that. But it also means we start trying to create magic. We start trying to do, start with trying to make something incredible. And then we work out the money afterwards. So I suppose it's very jobs yearn in that, that format because we, we are very much obsessed with the customer, the, the child and the family. And we're in service to them. Yeah, as in if this isn't an exercise in marketing, it's an exercise in this incredible curated, connected experience with a purpose behind it. On that purpose front, I'd be really interested to know, you know, I talked at the beginning, you've said, you know, you just want to slightly change the world. And I think everyone listening would understand what that's about in this context with memories and childhood and parenthood uh, and those themes. But are there any moments you can recall with guests or, or staff where... Um, you've had that playback which you can remember which have been utterly thrilling where you thought oh this was made it all worthwhile or you could see it the great thing with, with lapland is that for us we have had the greatest a-listers probably pretty much on the planet royalty come multiple multiple times but for us and as a company the vips are the children it's always the children for us and it's it's wonderful to, you know whatever the person is that comes to the show they get it and they, all they want to be is important to a four-year-old, the same as all of us as parents. As to um, magical moments that have happened, this almost too numerous to, to list. Uh, to give you an idea, we feel that there's, as much as there's the sort of glamour, there's a tremendous responsibility here as well. We look after Father Christmas, and he is this cultural icon that all children, he's on the side of children, and all children love his myth and buy into his story. What we've had with that responsibility is I've seen the power of what he can do. And for example, uh, we have an awful lot of um, children with many, many challenges that come to see us. Uh, we've supported that always as a business and, and done many things and we, we, we've worked very uh, well in that space. But uh, there was always a story that sort of brings a tear to your eye and I can almost feel emotional talking about it. And there was this uh, lovely mother and she was there with her son and the son had multiple challenges and he was also deaf. So he went around the experiences and he was having a nice time and um, we, we do as much as we can to support uh, the children with challenges. But ultimately, uh, this child came to see Father Christmas. And when he went in to see Father Christmas, I remember talking to the performer afterwards and he was, he was a bit challenged saying, okay, I've, I've got a child here, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do. And uh, the mother sort of shook her head and said, it's okay. He just wants to see you, okay? As it so happened, and these magical things do happen at Lapland, the father Christmas could sign. He started to speak, realized that the child was deaf, and then he signed the visit and he introduced himself to the child. So at that point, um, the, the boy who apparently, and according, this is what the mother said afterwards, never, never sort of, uh, feels comfortable touching anybody, any other humans, reached out and touched Father Christmas. So at that point, the mother starts crying. I'm probably feeling it a bit now. Uh, Father Christmas starts crying. The little boy was happy because at the end of the day, it's Father Christmas. You know, he's a, he's a rock star. He, he's capable of anything. But you saw that the power there. There was another story where there was, um, I received a telegram. You know, we don't really get telegrams anymore. But it, was, uh, it turned out it was this guy serving in the military on active service in the Middle East. And he said, dear Mr. Lapland, I wonder if you could do me a favor. And he had all this information of about his family. 
of that he wanted to convey to his family when they came to see Father Christmas because he knew they were going even though he was away on active service. So the day came, the family had a lovely time, had no idea that um, Daddy had been working in in sort of covert with uh, the Lapland uh, people. Then they went to go to see Father Christmas and of course uh, the father had given us all these little chips of magical information about the children that only the dad would know. So of course... Uh, once he had that, then um, the the Father Christmas um, had the visit. And of course, the, the mother starts crying. The grandparents start crying. The children, again, they're completely cool because it's Father Christmas. So he's all capable and all, all incredible. But it just shows you that there's such responsibility here. You have literally got, as I'd say, the the children's sort of crown jewels emotionally is in your hand. And for a, a family to give that to us, is a tremendous honour and a tremendous responsibility. And we know that. Because the the experience for the children and the parents is so, I, I just think, so incredible and unique in a sense. Did you have anyone to learn from? Or would you say that you had to make it up yourself? Or, or did you have inspirations from, from near or afar? My main inspiration probably would be Alison, if, if I'm honest. Uh, as, as a company, I suppose... One reference is something like Cirque du Soleil because we all sort of like circus. It's sort of culturally we woven into how we understand the world, but it sort of turned a bit weird. It, you know, it had animals in there, strange people in there, and it somehow had lost its sort of spiritual essence. So uh, Guy Libertaire, uh, Canadian, French, they picked this beautiful thing up, scrubbed off all that sort of weird and cheap and nasty stuff, and then said, no, no, this deserves better. And then they invested, they brought storytelling, they brought um, you know, amazing performers to this, and they put it in its rightful place. And I'm, I suppose that is our mission where I sometimes say, I think we're only getting started. It's because I feel that, as I said, poor old Father Christmas and Santa Claus has just been not looked after well. And he's an open you know, intellectual property, which means that everyone and anyone can use him with the wrong agenda. Where we've gone, no, 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 no. This is, as I said, way too important. This is, as I said, uh, in status, it's like your graduation day. It's like your um, your child's wedding day. Okay, you're going to spend a bit of money doing it, but this is a memory to put into your love filing box for life that you will remember when they're grown and so on. You'll look back and you'll go, those were the best, those days. Your, your stories about the, the people coming and that, that moving moment, I mean, we always touch on this on a podcast, you know, we're, we're a company that works in, in inverted commas in the luxury space. And by that, we don't mean grotesque 1980s excess consumption. We, we mean category leaders um, and, and obviously premium offerings. What's your take on not luxury, but, but the price point you're at? You're obviously you're an expensive, you know, it's not cheap to visit Lapland. Can everyone come? Do you struggle with that? It, and it also, by the way, of course, costs a lot to do what you do. You know, you, you have the best. We do have a, a variety of ticket prices, and I genuinely think that pretty much most families could come. Some of them might be further back in the season, for sure, but uh, we have an egalitarian sort of experience as well, that no child really gets a better experience than any other child. As to the label of luxury, for me, I, I suppose I won't, I don't really think about it like that. I just think about doing something brilliant for uh, a moment in uh, our visitors' lives. And if people want to call us luxury, but even if you go into the roots of luxury, let's say uh, um, LVMH or something like that, 
the guy at the beginning of that, he was a craftsman that just wanted to make the most amazing luggage. And he did. And, and that was really what it was all about. So we, in some ways, we don't really think about that. We, we just focus purely on obsessing about giving children and families the most remarkable day and the most remarkable Christmas. And I suppose we are premium. As I said, we are, we are affordable for pretty much everyone. The amazing thing with our customers and community is that they're, they're thrilled that we're there, that they are able, in many ways, reflecting all the way back to me and Alison sitting in our people carrier going, why doesn't somebody do this? And if you're lucky enough or blessed enough to have a, a young child, whether you're a, a mother, father, a grandfather, grandmother in your life, they're thrilled that we're there. So as I said, I don't really get into the worries about that. I want to make it it's affordable, accessible for everybody. And the reality of creating something special as I can't break the rules of the world is it, it does take a tremendous amount of money to do that. But uh, I feel we deliver on the value. So it's the word expensive. It's not expensive if you feel delivering the value. And I think we wouldn't have our following if we were delivering probably multifold of the value that people think they're going to get. But what we do is we, we bring you together and you're laughing, you're crying, you're having these magic moments all together. You come to see Father Christmas at the end and we always say it's a, a stop the clock moment where you witness your children being children. And as I always say is you fall in love with your own family. And I, I say it's not really about us. We are, again, we're the sort of wedding planner that creates that moment. And you fall in love with your family. And I always say what Lapland gets is love shrapnel in that it's not really about us, but it's like when you go to a wonderful restaurant and have a great time with your family, you go, oh, that restaurant's the best ever. But really, it's the moment that you're having with your family, which is really the value that you create. Uh, but Lapland does that and reliably does that. And it does it at a time and, an ex and a moment in a family's life that won't last. So you've got to grab this time, as we always say, a child of a certain age will only be that age once at Christmas in their life. So if you don't lay down those memories, you'll never have them. So as I said, for us, is that it's, uh, it's about the, the value of the experience. So that is ultimately what Lapland's about. And for me as a father, that's the ultimate value. What also interests us is that you reinvest tons into the business in general, and we'll get on to future growth plans. But how do you maintain your timelessness? How do you make sure that next year is going to be better than the last? How do you avoid the trap, which every business eventually does at some points, or very few escape it, it just depends on the time frame of not innovating, not getting better? I never struggle to come up with more creativity, more refinement, more magic. I, I find it really natural and, and I, I find that the journey really is you get to the top of what you thought was a mountain and then you see it's only another molehill so more you can do. And as I said, the, the why behind the business, the honoring childhood together, we're never going to get there. We're just going to be doing that for the rest of our lives. And if you put the creativity and the desire to create magic and uh, moments and memories for families, it's it's easy. I, I I genuinely find it easy. I could spend an awful lot more money, and I, you know I've got a manual investment. But at the same time, I find it easy, um, and uh, I have ideas popping out. And then also, not only with the live show, this there's, there's uh, the experience of supporting people, the pre visit to the Christmas, and the post visit to to Lapland as well. 
we we as i said we want to have this suspension of disbelief we want to make all of our visitors rock star parents that they've absolutely nailed this and we've got all of the answers for you you know people are out there they're busy being accountants and being working as doctors and god knows what they're doing in the world but they also want to be rock star parents and that happens to be mine and Alison's specialist and we go as i said earlier we've got you and we're going to make you be amazing we're going to have all the right answers when you get a curious seven-year-old who's a bit suspicious we'll give you the we'll give you the uh, the script to how to knock them back and then when you see that pure innocence of a child who's believing and as i said it's something to 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 savor and in this he's also quite interesting when the children are getting a little bit older you get all these letters coming in saying we got another year of magic because i think our visitors are conscious that this is such a value point in their lives so but as to innovation and improving things we are never short on that. I have, uh, they, they actually call it Mike's ideas tree. And every once in a while, I'm lucky enough to pick them. I want to pick them all tomorrow, but we're not ready as a company. But I think there's many, many ideas ripening on the ideas tree. And hopefully as we develop as a company and an organization, we'll be able to pick more of them. Which actually brings me on to the business model. Because what fascinates me is that from an outsider's perspective, when we're talking about you know where you go next and um you know where you can take this business into other areas it's it kind of seems to me obvious that it's incredible the opportunities you have is probably more about refining and saying we can only do a couple of these bit content in general films other sites whatever and yet you're also a seasonal business you're not likely to be consumed in uh high summer anywhere in the world or at least that's in may june july which is a really interesting tension so can you talk a little bit about where you're going next and how you balance the fact that you're still themed around a very seasonal uh, time frame? The seasonal part of it for me, uh, I, I, I sort of like it because you've got this intense moment where you are slightly the centre of the world when the, the live show is, is going. However, we have sort of eight months to plot better, if not longer. As to the business, it was a very challenging model because... You can't execute uh, an immersive experience inside a traditional theatre. So that means you're into building the theatre from scratch every year and then putting the show onto that. Also, the quality of the production has to be of a level that it will genuinely suspend disbelief of a slightly questionable 80-year-old. So it's an absolute killer model. And you can understand why for multiple years, this has stuck on the uh, shelf and everybody that's ever tried has always failed and there's been lots of scandals and things like that. But it's such a small operational time, four to six weeks, and such a huge investments that required to create, as we say, a world that's believable. But we have done that. And again, that's through our innovation and our challenge and very much been fueled by our passion and purpose to, to, to do something special. As to where we are now, we have this the show that you know is is extraordinarily popular, cult like following. But also through creating this world, Alice and I have now written five books. We have written the origin story of how a humble toy maker and his wife have become mother and father Christmas to the world, and we've also written the origin story of what I like to call an ancient elven civilization that um, we introduce families to. And these books are almost. I see them as the Dead Sea Scrolls of Christmas that have finally been passed down the mountains. And this is the real story of Father Christmas. And there's a character 
uh, base there as well. We have created 31 characters. So no one, as I, I think, has ever been at this position before um, and had this sort of breakthrough and have such support. So from here, as I said, we, we, we have you know a live show, but we sell out very quickly. But our passion also is to bring as much Lapland magic as we can to as many families as possible. So what is beckoning for us is more live shows uh, nationally and internationally. Uh, we also have... Uh, interest in the books alone uh, in the media space um, again everything has got to be of the highest quality and have the integrity of what we're doing and and the importance in some ways of what we're of what we're trying to achieve there's there's areas of uh, retail I suppose where we very much want to move Christmas from a mindset from being transactional to being experiential that might be just sitting with your child reading a book or having a glass of wine but something that brings people together that's really what we would love to do. And then we also have lots of many uh, other ideas that are sort of early on in their ripening on the ideas tree in the digital space and so on and so forth. So again, that's what gets us out of bed every morning excited. Um, and we, we feel that uh, we know, we're very humbled by the, uh, the public support for what we're trying to do. And we're going to keep going and keep innovating and keep creating because it's in our lifeblood and uh, the public are cheering us on but more they recognize that this is a seminal moment in everybody's family. That would really would be mine and Alison's greatest uh, achievement, if that's even possible. And out of interest, have you had any um, offers? I don't necessarily mean to buy the business. I mean, of people saying, you know, you should do this with us or, or in this fashion or in America or something like that, that you've said no to. We have um, semi-cues around the block of the great and the good from uh, American studios through to and you know, global um, event companies all knocking on our door and all admiring what has been created. And when, I suppose, where I am is that when we started, we didn't have much other than a dream than me and Alison. So I was probably puffing quite hard to sort of say, we're going to do something amazing. And in many ways, from the experience that we get and the engagement, we're, we're very proud of what we've achieved. However, where we are now, I'm very mindful that we need to bring it right down and we need to hold on to our values and we need to hold on to the integrity of what got us here. And it's all very flattering to have all of this come at you, but it's got to be not so much on our terms, but it's got to have our integrity. It's got to have our creativity. And because we're the guys who, who got us here, we're the guys that made this remarkable breakthrough. And if you find the right people with aligned values, it's reasonably easy to work with. As I said, we start with let's create something amazing. And then we go, oh, how are we going to work the money out after that? If you start the other way around, that's when, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And that's where you get that misalignment, I suppose. On that, you're increasingly reliant on a bigger team each year, be that performers or be that permanent people working all around the year. How do you motivate and excite them? Are you a very sort of process-driven organization? Are you, uh, is it organic? How, how does that work? Number one, it's very easy to uh, motivate. One of our values is passion for the mission. Simply, if you have people come for interviews and they're sort of on the edge of their seat, they're so excited to want to come and work for us. Uh, they love what we do. Similarly, when we do the live show, I, I famously do this bit at the, at the end where I, I, you might have five, 600 people in the audience of performers and so forth. And I ask them all to um, close their eyes. And then I say, I'm going to say one word. And the word that I say is Christmas. And then I say, 
whether you like it or not, a memory has seared into your memory related to that subject when you were a child. It might be a good memory, it might be a bad memory, but for whatever it, uh, it will have been, you over the next six weeks are going to be creating these memories for these children. So then they feel a huge sense of responsibility, but then they are amazingly motivated. And as to the team through the year, that burns very, very brightly within them. As to, I suppose, the practical side of it, the other of getting the business uh, going, I don't like learning what we've already known. If we learn something, I don't mind the, the learning something new. And if we lose money learning something new, that's totally fine. However, there does need to have some processes in place and so forth so that when we learn something, we take that ground and that we don't find ourselves, you know, a year later making the same mistake and going, oh, we're just learning the same um, mistake that we learned the previous year. And, and I'd say the team are very good at that and we build upwards. And I suppose as we have become more successful, the ambition has got bigger and the sophistication has got bigger. And I suppose as a business owner, when, when you first start and you know this yourself, Fred, you're the sort of octopus where you're, you know, you're creating a product, you're doing finance, you know, I'm literally counting the money, I'm doing the creative. Uh, Alison was Mother Christmas many times. I was actually Father Christmas many times. You're sort of doing everything. But then as you grow and develop, it's, you do still need to provide the vision for the business and the leadership for the business. However, rather than a, an individual, a couple of individuals, the founders, it really comes about the team. And if I'm a 10, hopefully, at uh, one or two things, then I bring in other people to do roles that I've probably been doing fairly badly. And they're at nine or a 10 in that one. And then that, for me, really pushes the team forward and you build sort of uh, strength and, and integrity. And, and I suppose from a qualitative perspective, We've got important work to do here, Fred. You know, this is really important work. And this is a, a rare and amazing opportunity. We've got a shot at doing something extraordinary with this company. Hopefully, we will achieve it. It won't be for want of trying, but we need the very best to help us do it. Every client we have is, is mildly obsessed by loyalty, i.e. people coming back. How do you approach that? How do you make sure people come back year after year? We don't really incentivize. All we do is, I suppose, we become part of the fabric of their lives. Once you're introduced to our storytelling world and, you know, we have a multi-million pound production. Last year, I think we employed just under a thousand people to put the production together and, and perform and so forth. Once you're introduced to that world, it's very difficult to go back to Blue Water with a guy sitting in a big lump of plastic, you see. So you become part of their world. That said, we do want to support families more when, for whatever reason, they might not have been able to get tickets and they've been previously. They might be having a second child or something, so it's a little bit busy for them to come and things like that. So we want to keep the world and the, uh, the story alive in those homes because this becomes a truth, let's say, for that family. For me, it's just be brilliant and they will come back. That's probably my short of it, really, and obsess about that. It's not really about us. It's about them. And uh, I suppose it's slightly Jeff Bazeus-ism is that if you obsess about the customers, it'll keep you straight. And if you obsess about the purpose of what you're trying to do, and this is very much a role that Alison has, has always provided for the company, is that she's the sort of spiritual leader of the business. Alison, to give you an insight to her, she 
when she was a primary school teacher, she would be metaphorically locked in a room with 35 year olds. And then she'd come home to me at night and she'd say, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. This is such fun. So that, that is what I'm up against, you see. <laughs> yes. And leads nicely just into the last question, certainly not the least important around sustainability. And well, what's your philosophy on it and how you incorporate that into the experience? There's a number of things. This, uh, this idea that are you an environmental company? I think we're all environmentalists now. It's not really a, a, a we are this and identify. We're all in this together. So, and also we are involved, uh, obviously, with children. So that you know, burns even brighter for us. And there's always been an environmental, probably right the way back to the beginning of our journey, 17 years ago, where I was sort of conscious of this little nag in my head that we need to do better. And even in the stories, Fred, that we've written, that we have weaved every part of that so that there is an environmental message that ultimately comes out as to why the toys are sent out every year. I suppose, again, that's the the creative side. From a more practical side of it, we are one of the more eminent shows that take place in the British sort of calendar now every year, whether it's Chelsea Flower Show or Glastonbury or, or something like that. And if it's Christmas, you go to that, that, that sort of, I suppose, our position. And I think within that, there again, there is responsibilities. So we probably need to provide some leadership. So uh, I'm not saying we're perfect, but like the world, we are on our journey to improve and to challenge everything that we do. Uh, thank you. I mean, that's, and I think also just zooming out to wider ESG, I think it's really clear from this discussion that a child's going to Lapland three times in their childhood is probably going to be left with some things that will put them on a path that's pretty good when you talk about changing the world. I think that's clearly where you're making the biggest difference. Mike, that was a brilliant, that was a tour de force of what Lapland's about. And it's, it's just, like I say, very impressive what you and Alison um, and your team have created. Uh, we always ask our guests the same four questions on the way out. The first one is, uh, what most irritates you about your industry or space? It's not my industry only, it is the world, is that most people start with the money, as in how can we make money? Whereas I start, how could we make something brilliant? And I always think the most important person in the room is not the person with the money. The most important person in the room is the person with the ideas. Uh, Well, we're a creative business, so we fully support that one. What most concerns you about the world we're leaving the next generation? I think they're probably going to do a far better job than us and probably the generation before us. It's easy to think the world is changing and people are frightened of change, but change is, is always going to be in it. And sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. But I actually think if you really get down to the, the data of the world, I think we're going to a better place. I think there's a more um, humanity, I mean, uh, more kindness in the world. I think they're, they're going to be fine. I don't, I'm not really concerned. I think we need to do our bit. And when they look back at us, hold our own selves to account. But I believe that as well. I think we, there's great hope with the younger generation. They're far better than, than us, and dare I say it, my dad's generation. Uh, penultimate question, if you had to give up your job tomorrow, what would you do? Now, it's very clear you wouldn't want to give up your job, but if you had to. What would I do? To answer your question, I would be interested in working with people who are purpose-driven, I suppose, but also reality-centric in that they're trying to do something special and there's lots of weird and wonderful problems to solve, but there's real integrity, real humanity in what they're trying to do because that fills the soul and you know, hopefully pays the bills as well. But that, that's what I would love to do. So I suppose 
if I was a sort of an NED type person, I would probably find that quite fascinating. And then the last question is, uh, what's the most exciting thing for you personally in the next five years? Uh, to see Lapland, I suppose, expand so that the unique experience and charm and importance of the subject that we have created is brought to a wider audience. Not really for us, really for those families, because I've seen the power of this. And it's, it is the power of Lapland, but it's really the power of Father Christmas. We're just doing a really brilliant job with him. That would be my dream. And I'd almost go to my grave quite happy if I achieve any of that thread. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Fred. Thanks so much for listening. This has been What The Lux. You can find us on socials at Matchreform. And drop us any questions or comments on Twitter using the hashtag WhatTheLux. Or if you're a luxury brand looking for strategy and design that goes beyond the banal, get in touch via hello at matchreform.com and chat to one of our consultants.